episode two of season three. Hello, my friends. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Too Scared to Sleep. I'm your host, Jake, and... Dylan. Yeah, there's Dylan. Wow, look at our energies. You're so... mm... No, listen... It's just the way you, the energy you came in right off the bat. <laughs> I'm so excited. Was monotone. Listen, no, forget it. Forget it. Because we're going to bring the heat. We're going to bring the fucking thunder. We're going to bring the Hail Satan. Hail Satan. WKRX, Greater Cincinnati. All the metal hits. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it's going to be so awesome. No, Hell we got yeah, a, I got a good topic. We got good energy. We do have good energy. We talked a lot. We, we even yeah. stopped ourselves. We've been hanging out for about an hour and a half now. We stopped ourselves. We were like, no, no, no. This shit is podcast shit. And we like changed the subject, switched gears so we could talk about other stuff. Of course, somehow we started talking about the immortal Keanu Reeves. Mm, we love Keanu Reeves. He's the best. I was talking about how, um, yeah, and our older listeners will understand this. In the hierarchy of coolest human beings on the fucking planet, it's got to be like Steve McQueen. It's like a holy trinity. Steve McQueen, Muhammad Ali, and Keanu fucking Reeves. That's like the holy trinity of cool guys on the planet. I gotta say so. Let us know what you think. Yeah, give us your own uh, big three, your holy trinity. Yeah, give us your holy trinity of cool. We're gonna go live in a minute on Instagram and we'll talk about this. (laughs) The holy trinity of cool. Who are the coolest people on the planet? Steve McQueen was nicknamed the king of cool. He's super fucking cool. Yeah, he was the coolest. Some of the greatest movies. And he he rode a motorcycle, too. That was one of the coolest things about it. God, I love motorcycles. Mm-hmm. He loved Triumphs. Triumphs are really nice. Yeah. Yeah, he rode one. I mean, Great Escape, one of the best war movies ever. Super crazy, like, completely historically inaccurate. But whatever, who gives a shit? <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, so Dylan, how you doing? It's been, what, a couple of weeks now? We had some COVID scares. We couldn't get together. Yeah. But we're here. We're, we're here back. now. We're back. We're recording episode two. Yeah, my two of my roommates did get COVID. So it was a lot of being scared and being safe and sanitizing and everything. Luckily, they are both feeling much better now. They have been cleared to where they're not infectious anymore. So pretty much back to normal. I'm still being safe because I'm still high risk. But everybody's doing pretty good. You know, just kind of hanging out. Um, let's see. What was I going to... Oh, yeah. So there was... Uh, a little bit of a bummer update. I know. Yeah. Uh, I figured I goofed myself by mentioning it in the season finale, so I have to give the update. Um, so I did ask somebody on a date. Uh, they did agree, but now she is back uh, in college somewhere that's like three or four hours away. She, I mean, she was busy. I'm not, I'm not upset ab- like about her being busy. I know that she was working a lot and like she, you know, went out of town and whatever. I'm upset about this. But like, I mean, I'm bummed, but whatever. It happens, you know, as you like to say, there are other worlds than these. I know. It'll be all right. But anyway. I don't know was... what we're doing. I had one like that too. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's not been... A great start to the romantic updates um but it's okay because the rest of the world is vibing we're doing good yeah we're doing good um i put together it wasn't it isn't quite as uh floofy and i put together a, a list a list of 2021 goals for myself i didn't make a vision board because i feel like that's a that's a white person thing to do definitely but i did make a list of things and i'm and i'm doing pretty good on number one and number two so far number four as well we're going to work on number five, too. 
I don't know what these are. So like number one is better paying job. I got a lateral promotion, but it's definitely the the um the, it's it's definitely the fastest avenue towards advancement and making more money without having to like switch positions within my within my company. Hell yeah. <clears throat> so I'm doing good with that one. Number two is financial stability. Obviously, that's tied to making I mean, more money. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what was it? Continue diet and exercise. I'm doing good, even though we just ate Sonic, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. We're entitled to a cheat. Day. I hardly ate anything. Actually, I, you know, I was eating a two egg omelet pretty much every day and I decided, you know what? Fuck that. I don't need to eat a two egg omelet. I can just do a one egg omelet. So I did that today. Wow. I really haven't know. eaten anything else except that all day long. I had a protein shake. That's about it. Anyway. Yeah, so the only thing I had was the Sonic other than a couple bites of really disappointing Panda Express. That's right. You showed up and you were eating Panda and I was trying to figure out what I was going to eat. And I couldn't couldn't quite decide. And you were like, man, this panda is really disappointing. And I was like, well, stop eating it. And you took like three more bites. You're like, man, that was horrible. I was like, throw it away. Yeah. Let's go get something else. Pandas never hurt me like that, but it really did me dirty this time. Yeah. Number four is continue diet and exercise. Number five is fix my bike. And I think I'm going to go put it in. I'm going to put it like I'm going to make an appointment tomorrow and put it in like either this week to the to the garage or like early next week. So. Fuck yeah. And get that thing fixed. And go do the Harley training course. Yeah, I need to call about that. Um, number six is um, we want to put out, I think we should put out at least 34 episodes this year of Too Scared to Sleep. Which we definitely can. Yeah, absolutely. We did 17 last year easily. We can do we can do 34. And yeah. I want to double our listeners. Yeah, hopefully so. So to all you listeners out there, if you guys know anybody who's into this, Please feel free to recommend um, recommend us to them. So Send I them have our way. <laughs> I have seven seven bullet points on my 2021 goals. The only one that I'm lagging on is number three: healthy, stable romantic relationship. Nice. God damn it. Yeah, we love to see it. The continuing misadventures. Yeah. I don't know what it is, you know. And I'm trying to like, <clears throat> honestly, it's at this point. I'm I'm still in in on it because if nothing else, it is an amazing psychological experiment and a sociological experiment. <laughs> Try to figure out, okay, I met this person here. I met this person through this channel. I met this person through this channel. These are their attributes. This is how they matched up to me. This is where it went wrong. And this is what I'm learning from it, you know? And it's just so strange. It's like this huge cross-section of different women, different traits, getting a certain point and then they and then they they bolt or i or you know i lose interest or i feel bad about this or that or you know there's not a mutual attraction it's amazing how just strange it is so <clears throat> the continuing misadventures i've got a great story about this one this happened just 2 weeks ago okay i was on um it was like on a wednesday and i was on facebook and there was this you know how it does that people you may know thing yeah, yeah, yeah. So it suggests this woman, and it says, the, you know, she's got two two um, common friends with you. She works for the car dealership that I used to work for. It's There's a bunch of different sections to the car, car dealership. There's different dealerships within it. It's a big auto group. And um, she, works in the, she works in the corporate office, right? Amazing, beautiful, Hispanic woman, you know. She's got kids, which is fine. She seems to have an, you know, I was looking at her Facebook and I'm like, she's single. She's interested in men. She's about my age. She's gorgeous, right? Mm. I'm like, I'm going to shoot my shot. Let's try it. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. Let's roll these fucking dice. So I request her as a friend. It only takes her about 15 to 20 minutes to come back 
um, she accepts my friend request. And so I message her through Facebook Messenger and I'm like, hey, thanks for adding me. Um, you know, I know this person and this person. I used to work for the car dealership. She's like, oh, why did you leave? And so that segues into the motorcycle story. And now I'm doing this for my job. There you go. Because <clears throat> it sounds really impressive when I say I'm an executive recruiter. Yes, it does. Yes, it does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It plays well. So. We talk a little bit about that and she said, oh, you, you know, your kids are cute. And I was like, oh, your kids are cute. They're very, you know, your kids are beautiful just like you are. And she's like, LOL, thank you so much. If you want to text me, this is my number. And I'm like, nice. Boom, baby. Fucking boom. Yes. It was like record time. Like it didn't even take, (laughs) it didn't even take like 45 minutes to get to that point. And I was like, fucking killing it with this woman. Hell yeah. Right. So we start message we start messaging back and forth, and I'm like, I can't help but tell, could, but notice that you're single and you're interested in men. I am interested in you. I'm gonna take you out for a coffee. All right. And she's like, that sounds great. Uh, you know, I haven't been in a relationship in a while, but I'm definitely, you know, I'm definitely interested. And you seem like a really nice guy. And I'm like, you know, you can ask this person. You can ask this person. I'm a really nice guy. So we talk. You can like, check out oh. my Yelp reviews here. As, yes. Let me take a look at these. You can look at the four-star ones. You can look at the three-star ones, the two-star ones. It's fine. I'm like an Amazon product. It's all right. I can stand the criticism. <laughs> so we talk all day Wednesday. It culminates in like um, a FaceTime video call in the evening. And, uh, you know, we talked for like 30 minutes or so. And then we talked for like an hour afterwards, you know, over the evening. And then on Thursday, we talked non-stop well what Coleman yeah and and at, at some point you know it was like well you know we can get together on Friday she was like we can get together for dinner on Friday I was like absolutely you know hell yeah let's meet up so Thursday we talk all day long like she messages me in the morning and she messages me a good morning like early in the morning she's really attentive really responsive she FaceTime me on her way to work we're talking all day long on Thursday she's telling me all about herself we're just doing all that all the pre-dating ritual we're getting all that shit out right it's great working great i should have known this is like a fire that burns bright and burns itself out too much damn it so that thursday night comes around and i'm pretty much in bed and she messages me she's like i went out to get a couple of drinks with my friends i can't wait to meet you tomorrow i'm gonna have a really hard time keeping my hands off you you're so hot i want to spend the night with you i only have to be at home the next day before 6 a.m and i'm like say what that sounds like a great idea Oh. Now, you know, because of because you're here all the time, this house yeah. is clean all the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right? So I just went and did a once over of the house. I'm like, I'm ready. If she really wants to come over and hang out over the evening, we're ready to go. This house is this house is done and ready to go. So Friday, we talk all day long and she's going to leave and she's going to meet me at a restaurant real close, you know, in, close in San Antonio. And we're going to meet for dinner. And she shows up and she is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, just so beautiful and everything. And I give her a hug and we start kissing and we make out a little bit before the dinner. And we're still hanging out and we're still kissing. And then we sit down for dinner and it's like a different person showed up. Mm. Because then she suddenly sits down and she starts talking about how she's not so sure whether she wants to be in a relationship. And she's not sure what she wants to wants out of life. Which is completely different from the stuff that she had said. She had said before. She was talking about how she knows what she wants, and you know she's got these goals in life, and she just wants somebody who's going to realize those goals. And oh, Jake, you're so great, and I've never met anybody like you. And yeah, I can't wait for you us to do this together, and this together, and this together. And then she just like totally switches her tune. You know, becomes like a different person at dinner. Yeah. It's like, 
what the fuck just happened here? Came me whiplash. Exactly. And it's like, and then I'm sitting there thinking, okay, listen. And I looked at her and I said, listen, that's fine how you feel. I'm not looking to get married next week anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a process to this. And I respect that process. Okay. There are steps to getting into a healthy, meaningful, long-term relationship. And we are like on step two of this shit right now. Okay. First date is like step two. And I understand that. And there's like 27 steps before we get to a real serious thing going on. And I respect that process. Okay? Yeah. I'm not asking you to go go crazy and let's get married next week or anything like that. Right? She totally changes her tune. And then over the course of Saturday and Sunday, she just pulls away until the point where all of last week, I didn't talk to her at all. And it's like, this fucking shit burned out so quick. Damn. And I really feel like I didn't do anything to make this happen. Yeah. Because, okay? I mean, it doesn't sound like you did anything. Yeah, because like I may different. not always be completely honest. Not, not, not that I'm not completely honest on the podcast, but I in and of myself am aware enough and perceptive enough to be able to perceive in and of myself in some of these past failed relationships where what the things that I did that, that were wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, where you can admit that you did something yes. that fucked it up. I went a little too fast. Yeah. I was a little too I was a little too heavy handed with the you know, the cariños, the the you know, the terms of endearment and this and that and mm-hmm. expecting too much of this person and maybe getting a little too serious with the serious talk. I totally get that. But I try to play this one as cool as I could. And I don't know what happened. Cause it is just so weird. Yeah, I don't know, man. I guess it's one of those things where like you know, not to like sound like I'm shitting on her or anything, because I'm definitely not. Mm-hmm. I understand why people are like this, but I mean, it's kind of like the romantic equivalent of like the keyboard warriors, where like behind the screen they have all the confidence and they're like, "Yeah, I can do whatever." You Maybe know, I've, I've got all these yeah. feelings, and then in person, it's a little bit separate because you're not detached from the situation anymore. It's right there in person, and you have to just face <laughs> it. It is kind of weird. I have been in situations like that too, because like. Over text, I just talk like normal, but, you know, in times when, like, I've met people on Tinder or, like, you know, online and gotten to actually hang out with these people, the in-person aspect of the conversation always feels super awkward to me. Yeah. I don't know how to function like a normal human being. Stop. You're not that bad. Um, well, no, but, I mean, there is definitely, like, a a heavy layer of, like, anxiety or, like... You know, I have a connection with this person, but I feel like I'm going to fuck up now. Um, So I definitely understand it. So I am sorry that that is how she felt. But you know what? It is what it is. Yeah, it was just so strange. And it's like, well, at the same time, and at the same time, it's like nothing lost, you know? Yeah, I mean, you didn't get like super attached. You know, you guys didn't start making like, you know, huge plans or anything like that. So, you know, it happens. So weird. Just like, one of them things. Yeah, it makes your head spin. It's like, there's no, and but at the same time, it's like, there's no reason to even think about it. It's like, well, it's what, what's the difference? You know, it was one dinner. No big deal. Yeah. It, like you said, at least it wasn't like a huge commitment mm-hmm. thing, you know? Oh, yeah. And then I had an epiphany the next day because I was supposed to, oh, no, the next week because, uh, yeah, I was buying shoes for my kids and it came out to about 80 bucks. And I'm there and I'm paying for the thing. And I was like, you know what? Casual dating is such bullshit. I would rather spend $80 on my children buying them shoes or clothes or practically anything else. Yeah. 
then waste that kind of money on a go nowhere first date or second date yeah. or an, a month and a half thunking, thinking about you or six months thinking about you too or 11 years. I'm thinking about you. <laughs> you got a lot, of, lot going on here. And I got all that out. At least I got it all out. I'm just saying it doesn't really matter to me. Honestly, I keep this up. Honestly, at this point, we're keeping this up because it is a spectator sport. <laughs> It's a science experiment. I'm doing this for you, listeners. For the listeners. Insomniacs. For the band. I am am continuing down this misadventurous aisle of online dating and other kinds of dating just for you guys. You're the (laughs) only thing we have. You are the only thing. This has nothing to do with me and wanting to be happy or be less depressed about living alone or having someone in my life to give the love to. It's just all about, let's let's see how bad this can go and let's talk about it. Let's try and get some good stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lady walking her dog earlier and I was like, oh, yeah, she's cute. She wears glasses. She's kind of plain. <laughs> she's in my neighborhood God. walking a dog. She you does not have a wedding ring on. And all of that I was able to remind because this is this is where my mind goes. This is what I'm like on like in hunter mode. I saw all of that like in a snapshot. He did because he was in the passenger seat of my truck as we were going to get Sonic and we look over and he's like, oh, hey, I've seen her walking her dog around here before. Like she seems kind of cute. And then like it was like something out of, I don't even like the mentalist or some shit. I could see like the gears turning or like a Sherlock Holmes where like the camera zooms in on different aspects and like highlights where there's no ring, you know, like all this kind of shit. It was fucking crazy. It was next level shit. If you can only have one superpower, at least you got that. <laughs> I would trade that superpower in for another one. Well, yeah. I'm just kidding. Anyway, do you want to talk about our Patreon? Yes, I very much do. Oh, wait, do. wait, wait. Let's talk about our shirts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so we ordered some shirts in and they finally came in. I am now looking at mine because Jake brought it to me right before we started recording. And God damn y'all these look good so we ordered them off of our redbubble site if you go to redbubble you can find us at too scared pod right too yeah too scared pod we've got our edited uh logo it's on the different shirts got it all modified so it looks really good now Uh, i have got the cream colored one so it looks pretty much like our standard logo and damn it looks really good it does look really good I'm really, really happy with the quality of the Redbubble stuff. Um, and shout out to my friend Spencer. Uh, he ordered some merch from us off of the Redbubble site, and he sent me the pictures of it. And I'll send them to you, Jake, because they came out really good. He got a sticker, a magnet, and a water bottle. <gasps> the water bottle looks really... I mean, they all look really good, but I like that water bottle a lot. Um, but they came out really cool. I'm really excited. Uh, I can't wait to get some more designs and stuff up. But everything looks really, really good. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that. Thank you, Jake, for snatching those up for us. You're welcome. You're welcome. We're really excited about that. Get off your phone. We tell I'm you? gonna send you the pictures okay. of the merch. We're gonna quick. talk about Patreon. We're gonna start a Patreon soon. Yes. And what are we gonna do on it? So our Patreon is going to be home to some exclusive Patreon episodes. Mm-hmm. So what we are thinking is creating. Should I give them all the details? Let's do it. All right. Let's give them all the details. Then it's locked in, and we have to do it. Yeah, that's good accountability. Um, so what we are thinking of doing for our Patreon is making it home to some exclusive episodes. We are planning on doing, uh, basically kind of a surreal radio show based on WKRX, Greater Cincinnati, (laughs) Hail Satan, all the metal hits. 
Um, so we're going to do, it's going to be kind of like a horror comedy, just real weird, surreal kind of shit. Um, probably going to be 15 to 20, maybe 25 minute episodes. Um, and we are going to be doing some video content. So we're going to be going out to different haunted locations or spooky places and recording them with some actual good quality equipment. And what we are going to do right after this is record episode one of me and Jake playing a horror game. Now, I'm not going to say what it is just yet because I don't want Jake to figure it out and start Googling it and ruin it for himself like he always does. But we're going to be doing that. I got everything set up where we can record both of us reacting to it and record the game. Um, we'll probably also move our Too Scared to Watches over there now that I figured out how to make those a little bit better quality. Um, I'm just really, really excited. It's going to be an amazing experience. I already um, have a... I already have a radio DJ name for oh, WKRX. He does, and it's so good. I know, right? It's so good. <laughs> I cannot wait for all of these things. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be like, thanks for listening to WKRX for the, for the night shift. This is me, DJ Danger Close. God, it's so good. I know, right? It's so good, oh, man. It's the best name ever. Shit. You got to think of a good one, too. I do. I So, yeah, that's my project is figuring out a good radio name. Danny Torrance. Um, but maybe. You like it, don't you? I do kind of like it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's... Because it's like, you know, only nerds like us would know who Danny Torrance is. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Or you could just go by Dan. Danny Dan Torrance. Torrance. Oh, Danny it's not Torrance. bad. Play um, with us, Danny. Oh, Jesus. Stay with us. Okay. Forever. Done with and this. And and All right, next bit. Um, anyway, so that's what it's going to be. Um, we haven't made it yet, so we don't know what the username will be, but we're going to get it set up for you guys. Um, we're probably going to get some video content and hopefully some of the WKRX episodes made and then start uploading them and launch it um, just so we can actually have something kind of right out of the gate. But we're really, really excited for this. I think it's going to be super fun. Um, both me and Jake made our little 2021 goal sheets, uh, and we both talked about the podcast. And we're really excited to be able to branch out into some other stuff. Um, we're just fucking pumped, man. I'm so excited for I know, all of we're this. We're hyped. It's going, to be a good, it's going to be a good time. Yes, absolutely. We're going to enjoy it. And anything we enjoy, we hope you enjoy as well. 100%. Um, but like I said, so we're going to be expecting some... Uh, video reactions to horror games, probably continuing our Too Scared to Watch on the Patreon. Going to be doing the WKRX and hopefully a couple different horror games, but we're going to start off with the first one, which I'm very, very excited for Jake to react to. But anyway, that's going to be our Patreon, and it's going to be coming hopefully pretty soon. By the time this comes out, because we're not releasing these for a while, this will be like mid-February, we should have some stuff ready to go. Oh, yeah. Be close to it anyway. It's but of course, we're going to be updating TikTok and Instagram and all that jazz, mm -hmm. um, Twitter and stuff too. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yes. Very, very excited for this. All right, I'm ready. All right. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Totally up to you. Flip That's... a coin, Rojambo, I have no idea. <sighs> you go first. All right. Here we go. Wait. <clears throat> Where's your energy level? Are you going to fall asleep during my talk? No, I'm ready okay. to go. It's okay. early. What the fuck? Why are you I, being this way? I just want to make sure. Oh, Jesus Christ. Don't worry about me. Listen, are you ready for this? I'm... I did take a nap today. <laughs> okay. <There laughs> Two one-hour naps. Today. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. It was like a half day for me. 
I'm going to be talking about Project Stargate. Oh, shit. Yes! I don't know much about this, but I am fucking hyped. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Project Stargate is a secret U.S. Army unit, and it was established in 1978 in Fort Meade, Maryland, by the Defense Intelligence Agency and SRA, SRI International, which was a California contractor. Mm -hmm. It was uh, set up to investigate the potential for psychic phenomena, in military and domestic intelligence applications. The project and its precursors and sister projects originally went by various codenames like Gondola Wish, Grill Flame, Center Lane, Project CF, Project Pikachu, Sunstreak, Skidmark, Skanate, but eventually... I think we all remember Project Pikachu, though. I think we all know some of these were made up. <laughs> Skidmark. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved it if it had been Project Pikachu. That would have been so fucking awesome. Project Psyduck. Oh, man. I only know that because of the Pikachu movie. Because that of was Detective a, Pikachu. Oh God, that movie was a big hit with my kids. We watched it so many times. I'm sure it was. Kids yeah. love it. Kids love that movie. Anyway, by 1991, they had finally decided that they were going to call it Project Stargate. So it was all of these different projects, and they had all these different names. But... In 1991, that's when they consolidated all of this work and they rechristened it Project. Or they called it Stargate Project or Project Stargate. Everyone calls it that anyway. So the work primarily involved remote viewing. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is the ability to psychically see events, sites, or information from a great distance. The project was overseen until 1987 by Lieutenant Frederick Holmes, Holmes, Atwater, who was called Skip Atwater, I guess. If your name is Frederick Holmes, you're going to go by Skip. He was, uh, and his aide, who was a psychic headhunter named Major General Albert Stubblebine. Um, and he was later president of the Monroe Institute. Okay. The unit was small scale, small scale, comprising of about 15 to 20 individuals and it was run out of an old leaky wooden barracks. So they did everything they could to remain inconspicuous. Nice. Right. Remote viewing is fucking awesome. We're going to talk about that later. Yes. Project Stargate was terminated and declassified in 95 after a CIA report concluded that it was never useful in any intelligence operation. It's too uh -huh. bad. Information provided by the program was vague and included irrelevant and erroneous data, and there was reason to suspect that its project managers had changed the report so they would fit background cues. The program was featured in the 2004 book and the 2009 film, both titled The Men Who Stare at Goats. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I haven't watched that. Ewan McGregor and George Clooney are in that movie. Mm -hmm. The Men Who Stare at Goats. It's a silly movie. But, you know, there's this whole thing about Project Stargate was like, like, even though they did classified it and they said it was a, it was a sham and it wasn't, and that it wasn't useful, that it was like, mm, maybe it was, and maybe this is just the way they did it. Information in the United States on psychic research in some foreign countries was poorly detailed based mostly on rumor or innuendo from secondhand or tertiary reporting, attributed to both reliable and unreliable disinformation sources from the Soviet Union. So there's just a lot of background chatter and static. The CIA and the DIA decided that they should investigate and know as much about it as possible. Various programs were approved yearly and refunded accordingly. Reviews were made semi-annually at the Senate and House Select select committee level work results were reviewed and remote viewing was attempted with the results being kept secret from the viewer it was thought that if the viewer was shown they were incorrect it would damage the viewer's confidence and skills so they were never they were never told that they were so far off 
Um, this was standard operating procedure throughout the years of military and domestic remote viewing programs. Feedback to the remote viewer of any kind was rare. It was kept classified and secret, so they were never told. Yeah. Remote viewing attempts to sense unknown information about places or events. That's what remote viewing is. Mm-hmm. Normally, it is performed to detect current events, but during military and domestic intelligence applications, viewers claim to sense things in the future, experiencing precognition, which is even harder to harder to 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 determine. So, this all starts back in the seventies. The United States intelligence sources believe that the Soviet Union was spending sixty million rubles annually on psychotronic research. Oh my God! So they thought that the the, the Russians were doing it too. In response to claims that the the USSR program had produced results, the CIA initiated funding for a new program known as SCANATE, scanned by coordinate. That's what it stood for. Remote viewing research began in 72 at the Stanford Research Institute in Menlo Park, California. Proponents of the research said that a minimum accuracy rate of 65% required by the clients was often exceeded in later experiments. So they're trying to say that it was actually pretty successful. Hell yeah. So these two physicists named Russell Targ and Harold Puttoff began testing psychics for SRI in 72, including one who would later become an international celebrity. His name was Uri Geller. Uri Geller. We've heard about this. Yes, we have. Their apparently successful results garnered interest with the U.S. Department of Defense. Uh, Ray Hyman, that's an unfortunate name, professor of psychology at the University of Oregon, was asked by the Air Force psychologist Lieutenant Colonel Austin W. Keebler, then director of behavioral research for ARPA, to go to SRA and investigate. There's a lot of stupid acronyms in this bullshit. And there's a lot of really unfortunate names. There are a lot of unfortunate names. It's almost like they, they changed them, but they didn't. He was, specific, he was asked to specifically evaluate Geller. Hyman's report to the government was that Geller was a complete fraud, which we knew. And as a consequence, Targ and Putoff lost their government contract to do further work with him. Yuri Geller, if you go and research him, is just a fucking charlatan. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The result was a publicity tour for Geller, Targ, and Putoff to seek private funding for research work on Geller. So they became like just fucking snake oil salesmen altogether. <laughs> Such bullshit. Maybe we'll talk about him at a later Fuck time. Fuck those clowns. One of the project's successes was the location of a Soviet spy plane in 1976 by a remote viewer named Rosemary Smith. She was an admin assistant recruited by, by, the project, by project director Dale Graff. So in 77, the Army's assistant chief of staff for intelligence, systems, exploitation, detect, God almighty. Okay, it doesn't matter. Somebody in the Army decided to start Gondola Wish, a program to evaluate potential adversary applications of remote viewing. So Army Intelligence then formalized this in the mid-1978 as an operational program called Grill Flame. Grill Flame. Jeez. And it was based in um, Fort Meade, Maryland. So crazy, these names. This, sounds, this one sounds like it was... Sounds like it was named by a white dad named Daryl. As he's walking through Home Depot, he's like, Project, Project, Project Grill Flame. That's Grill Flame. That's cool. That's awesome. Let's do that one. The other dad's it. As he's wearing his dad plaid and his puffer jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we love it. In the early ni- in early 1979, the, re- the research at SRI was integrated into Grill Flame, which was redesignated Inscom Center Lane Project. How is that better? It's not any better. God almighty. These names suck, guys. Can we just call it Project Jedi or something like that? Right. 
In 84, the existence of the program was was reported by Jack Anderson, and in that year it was unfavorably received by the National Academy of Sciences National Research Council. Of course, they think all of this parapsychology and pseudo-psychology and pseudoscience is just like an affront to them. So any, any credible scientist thinks this is complete bullshit. In late 85, the Army funding was terminated, but the project was redesignated Sunstreak and funded by the DIA's Scientific and Technical Intelligence Director. And of course, you know, it's just a way to funnel funnel money into somebody, right? Yeah. It's all this big thing. If you, if you do any research on the military-industrial complex in the, in, in the United States, you'll realize that it's just all about making rich people richer, rich white people, fucking white people. Which is just how most of America operates. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It absolutely is. So, in 1991, most of the contracting for the program was transferred from SRA to Science Applications International Corporation. So, so here it becomes a private contracting firm. Um, the uh, there's a guy named Edwin May who was controlling 70% of the con- contractor funds and 85% of the data that data that was collected. Its security was altered from a special access program, which we hear about a lot, mm-hmm. to limited dissemination, and was given its final name of Stargate at this point. Okay. Too many space names. Too many space names. In 95, the Defense Appropriations Bill directed that the program be transferred from DIA to CIA oversight. The CIA commissioned a report by the American Institutes for Research that found that remote viewing had not been proved to work by a psychic mechanism and said that it had been used operationally. The CIA subsequently canceled and declassified the program. Of course, if you listen to any conspiracy theories, they say that it was just that was just their way to get it off the books. Mm-hmm. That at some point it becomes a black book operation and, you know, the funding is just not, they don't earmark it for anything. The 1995 project, in 1995, the project was transferred to the CIA and a retrospective evaluation of the results was done. The appointed panel consisted primarily of uh, Jessica Utz and Ray Hyman. Hyman is back in it. Hyman had produced an unflattering report on Uri Geller, which we already talked about. Um, two decades later, but the psychologist David Marks found Utz's appointment to the review panel puzzling given that she had established papers with Edwin May. So there's this whole thing of like everybody's kind of covering each other's asses. Mm-hmm. A report by Utz, this lady, uh, claimed that the results were evidence of psychic functioning. However, Hyman in his report argued Utz's conclusion that the ESP had been proven to exist, especially precognition, was premature and the findings had not been, the findings had not been independently replicated. So it's just like, you know, they're, they're just they're coming at it from two different angles and nobody can actually prove their point. Um, this uh, this guy named Ray Hyman says, psychologists such as myself who study subjective validation find nothing striking or surprising in the reported matching of reports against targets in the Stargate data. The overwhelming amount of data generated by the viewers is vague, general, and way off target. The few apparent hints are just what we would expect if nothing other than a reason uh, of nothing other than reasonable guessing and subjective validation are operated. On the other hand, this Jessica Utz says no one has examined all of the data across laboratories taken as a collective whole. Nobody who has examined all of the data across laboratories taken as a collective whole has been able to suggest methodological or statistical problems to explain the ever increasing and consistent results to date. So they're both contradicting each other. Yeah. A later report by the American Institutes for Research came to a negative conclusion. 
Other evaluators from the AI are assessed to the potential intelligence gathering usefulness of remote viewing. They concluded that the alleged psychic technique was of dubious value and lacked the concreteness and reliability necessary for it to be used as a basis for making decisions or taking action. The final report found reason to suspect that in some well-publicized cases of dramatic hits, the remote viewers may have been substantially more have had May, they may have had more substantially more background information than might otherwise have been apparent. So maybe they were fed some clues. Mm-hmm. According to the AIR, which performed a review of the project, no remote viewing report ever proved actionable information for any intelligence operation. So, you know, there was never a, yeah, they found this guy in a cave in Afghanistan and we shot a cruise missile over there and lo and behold, he was there huddled in a cave and we fucking killed him. <laughs> None of that ever happened. Yeah. Based upon the collected findings, which recommended a higher level of critical research and tighter controls, the CIA terminated the $20 million project. That's a lot of dollars. That's a lot of money. Citing a lack of documented evidence that the program had any value to the Intelligence Committee. Time Magazine stated in 1995, three full-time psychics were still working on a $500,000 a year budget out of Fort Meade, Maryland at that time. David Marks... In his book, The Psychology of the Psychic, which was published in the year 2000, discussed the flaws in the Stargate project in detail. Marx wrote that there were six negative design features of the experiments. The possibility of cues or sensory leakage was not ruled out. No independent replication. Some of the experiments were conducted in secret, making peer review impossible. Marx noted that the judge, Edwin May, was also the principal investigator for the project, and this was problematic, making huge conflict of interest with collusion. Mm-hmm. Queuing and fraud was possible. Marx concluded that the project was nothing more than a sub- subjective delusion, and after two decades of research, it had failed to provide any scientific evidence for the legitimacy of remote viewing. Huh. Okay. So... Um, Project Stargate was the, the Project Stargate, like I was mentioned mentioned earlier, was terminated in 1995 following an in, independent review. This is what it concluded: the foregoing observations provide a ca- compelling argument against continuation of the program within the intelligence community. Even though a statistically significant effect has been observed in the laboratory, it remains unclear whether this the existence of a paranormal phenomenon called remote viewing has been demonstrated. The laboratory studies do not provide evidence regarding the origins or nature of the phenomena. Assuming it exists, nor do they address any important methodological issue of interjudge reliability. Further, even if it could be demonstrated unequivocally that a paranormal phenomenon occurs under the conditions present in the laboratory paradigm, these conditions have limited applicability and utility for intelligence gathering operations. For example... The nature of the, remote, of the remote viewing targets are vastly dissimilar, as are the specific tasks required of the remote viewers. Most importantly, the information provided by remote viewing is vague and ambiguous, making it difficult, if not impossible, for the, ten- for the technique to yield information of sufficient quality and accuracy of information for actionable intelligence. Thus, we conclude that continued use of remote viewing in intelligence, intelligence gathering operations is not warranted. Hallelujah, amen. Pass the plate. <laughs> it's crazy. That was a mouthful. It was a it was a mouthful to talk about, but it's true. It's like if you're going to use this, if you go, you have to. 
number one, you have to prove that it actually exists. Yeah. By by making it successful under laboratory conditions, that can be repeated over and over again under the same conditions. Mm-hmm. And they didn't ever do that. It would be amazing if you could. It'd be like, okay, we have identified these people who are able to remote view. We don't know what's different about their brain chemistry, their physiology. We're not exactly sure how they do it. We've, we've set them up on all of these things. You know, maybe we can see it like on an EEG or something like that when they're remote viewing. This is what's happening to their brain. That would be cool. That would be cool. This is what's happening to their brain chemistry. And so now we can identify whether a person's bullshitting us or not. Because this wave over here goes crazy every time they start this remote viewing. And they always have to be like in a room at 72 degrees with a certain light, lighted dimness. And they're laying down or they're in a relaxed state. Some people want to lay down. Some people want to sit at a table. But we're able to we're able to basically process this. You know, some of them see it. Some of them sketch it. Some of them, you know, maybe they draw it with colored pencils. Some of them want markers, but they're able to show it, right? It takes X amount of time and it's this percentage of time accurate. You know, those are favorable. Those are controllable conditions that are, that are, that are able to be repeated. And that's of every kind of scientific experiment. It's the whole scientific process. That is the scientific method. And they couldn't do that with remote viewing. So based on that, it was like, yeah, obviously, it's, uh, it's it's insane that they let it go on for as long as they fucking did. I mean, yeah, that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that I thought was really cool was uh, my roommate Jack has gotten really into all the like CIA documents that have come out. Um, yes, he's, like declassified the UFO shit mm-hmm. um, and some of the remote viewing stuff. And he sent me a link to uh, Joseph McMonagall. He was one of the first personnel recruited for the Stargate project, and he's super well-known for his, like, talks about the remote viewing and shit. Uh, He's a retired U.S. Army chief warrant officer. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's got some good credibility, and my roommate Jack sent me this link to a video where he's giving, like, a speech. Uh, It's, I think, like, two hours long. He's just talking about it, and about 45 minutes in, he starts talking about, like, his experience with the remote viewing and something that he said that stuck with me that I thought was really interesting. The remote viewing thing is kind of weird. Who knows if any of it's real? It doesn't seem like it is based on the evidence, but the shit he talked about was fucking crazy. Yeah. So he had said at one point he was doing a remote viewing session. And when he like had left his body, he felt himself wake up inside of, it was basically just a complete white cube. And inside there was no like windows or doors. There were no seams anywhere. He was like, this is weird. This doesn't usually happen. It's time to go back to my body now, which always works. And it didn't work that time. Oh, no. So he's trapped in this cube. He can't go back to his body. And then he said an apparition appeared in front of him in the shape of his dead father. Oh, no. And it started yelling at him. No. And he said, I know this isn't real. This is bullshit. My father never raised his voice at me. My mother did, but my father never yelled at me like this. So, like, the form of his father just looked at him, and then it turned into just basically, like, a form of light. And he said that it—he said there was a lot to it, um, but he said, like, at the end of it, the, like, light entity in front of him, like, raised an appendage at him, and he felt a beam of light shoot through his torso, and he woke up back in his body. Oh, my God. It was fucking weird. He—I listened to that whole thing where he talked—he talked about some really weird shit, and he talked about, like— 
the shapes of different UFOs and shit that he saw like throughout his time. Um, and he talked a lot about like that one particular experience where he was just trapped. Like they held him there. Oh my God. Um, it was really cool. I can send you the link to it if you want. Yeah. I'll watch yeah, it. Not it, right now. I mean, yeah, not at night. No, but it was really cool. But that's that part when he like, he wakes up in the thing. He's like, okay, this isn't right. Time to go back to my body now. And, and he doesn't. I was like, Oh Something shit. Held him. See, that's the reason why you don't fuck with shit like that. Man, yeah, you're playing a dangerous game, my friend. That's right. So um, a little bit more about Project Stargate, and then I'll start talking about some of the personnel. Um, <clears throat> Project Stargate created a set of protocols designed to make the research of clairvoyance and out-of-body experiences more scientific and to minimize as much possible session noise and, ac- and inaccuracy. But still, you can see the, the cracks in the in the cement as oh, far yeah. as it goes. The term remote viewing emerged as shorthand to describe this more structured approach to clairvoyance. So th- that's where the that's where the term came from was from Stargate. Uh, Project Stargate would only receive a mission after all. Other intelligence attempts, methods, or approaches had already been exhausted. So they had already tried to gather as much information before they gave it to Stargate. It was reported that at peak manpower there were over 22 active military and civilian remote viewers providing data. People leaving the project were not replaced. When the project closed in 95, this number had dwindled down to three. Yikes. One was using tarot cards. Oh, okay. According to Joseph McGonagall, the army had never truly had an open attitude towards psychic functioning. Hence the use of the term giggle factor and the saying, I wouldn't want to be found dead next to a psychic. (laughs) So within the intelligence community, within the military intelligence community, it it was thought of as a joke. Um, some of the people, like I said, I'm going to do a little bit of short bi- short biography of some of the people that were in it. Hal Putoff in the 70s, the CIA and the DA and the DIA granted funds to Hal Putoff to investigate paranormal abilities, collaborating with Russell Targ in a, stu- in a study of the purported psychic abilities of Uri Geller, Ingo Swan, Pat Price, Joseph McGonagall, and others as part of the Project Stargate. Um, as with Ingo Swan and Pat Price, Putoff attributed much of his personal remote viewing skills to his involvement with Scientology. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Whereby he had attained at that time the highest level. All three eventually left Scientology in the in the late 70s. So, well, at least they left. I know. Putoff worked as the principal investigator of the project later on. Remember, they talked about how this was a conflict of interest. Yeah. His team of psychics is said to have identified spies, located Soviet weapons and technology, such as a nuclear submarine in 1979, and helped find lost Scud missiles in the first Gulf War, Gulf War and plutonium in North Korea in 1994. Okay. Russell Targ uh, began working in the 70s with Project Stargate. Um, he was a researcher at the Standard Research Stan, Stanford Research Institute. Edwin May joined Stargate in '75 as a consultant and was working full time in '76. The original part, the original project, was part of the Cognitive Science Laboratory managed by May. With more funding in '91, May took the project to the Palo Alto offices at SAIC. This would last until '95, when they closed the project altogether, shuttered it. May worked as the principal investigator, judge, and the star gatekeeper for the project david marks noted that this was a serious weakness for the experiments as may had conflict of interest and could have done whatever he wanted with the data Mm. marks has written that may refused to release the names of the oversight committee and refused permission for him to give an independent judging of the stargate transcripts marks found this suspicious commenting this refusal suggests that something must be wrong with the data or with the methods of the data uh, selection sounds like it Mm mm-hmm 
Ingo Swan was originally tested in the phase one uh, part of uh, remote viewing experiments, uh, part of the American Society for Psychic Research under research director Carlos Osis, a former um, Scientologist. He was also a Scientologist. He alleged to have coined the term remote viewing as a der derivation of protocols um, originally developed by uh, the researchers. Uh, a particular chemical engineer had, uh, had documented that term as well. Swan's achievement was to break free from the conventional mold of casual experimentation and candidate burnout and develop a viable set of pro protocols that put clairvoyance within a framework named coordinate remote viewing. In a, letter, in a 1994, 1995 letter, Edwin C. May wrote that he had not used Swan for two years because there were rumors of him briefing a high-level person at SAIC and the CIA on remote viewing and aliens and ETs. Hmm. Pat Price was a former Burbank, California police officer and former Scientologist. Mm -hmm, who what is with all the fucking Scientologists? Dude, this is just a fucking country club and they're, they're giving each other money. He had participated in a number of Cold War era remote viewing experiments, including the U.S. government-sponsored Project Scanate and Project, Star Project Stargate. Price joined the program after a chance encounter with fellow Scientologists, Harold Putoff and Ingo Swan. Working with maps and photographs provided to him by the CIA, Price claimed to have been able to retrieve information from facilities behind Soviet lines. He is probably best known for his sketches of cranes and gantries, which appeared to conform to CIA intelligence photographs. At the time, the CIA took the CIA took his claims seriously. So uh, there's some there's some uh, science, there's some military personnel that I'll talk about too. Albert Stubblebine, which was a he was a major general. He was a key sponsor of the research internally at Fort Meade, Maryland. He was convinced of the reality of a wide variety of psychic phenomenon. He required that all of his battalion commanders learn how to bend spoons, just like Uri oh. Geller. <laughs> oh, no. And he himself attempted several psychic feats, even attempting to walk through walls, which is something from that The Men Who Stare, from Stare at Goats movie. I see why that movie is a goofy movie. Uh -huh. In the early 1980s, he was responsible for the United States Army Intelligence and Security Command, which is INSCOM, during which the remote viewing project of the, in the uh, Army had started up. Some commentators have confused a Project Jedi, allegedly run by Special Forces. That's what they call it in that movie. Nice. Allegedly okay. run by Special Forces, primarily out of Fort Bragg with Stargate. After some controversy involving these experiments including alleged security violations from uncleared civilian psychics working in sensitive, compartmented information facilities, Major General Stubblebine was placed on retirement. His successor was a uh, was a Major General Henry Soyster, who had a reputation as a much more conservative and conventional intelligence officer. Um, Soyster was not amenable to continuing paranormal experiments at the Army's participation in Project Stargate and ended it during his tenure. There's a guy named David Morehouse, which is uh, important. He writes a book called Psychic Warrior, comma, Inside the CIA Stargate Program, comma, The True Story of a Soldier's Espionage and Awakening. That's too much. Nice. Just pick one Just pick one, one title, not three. <laughs> More, Morehouse claims to have worked on hundreds of remote viewing assignments from searching for a Soviet jet that crashed in the jungle carrying an, an atomic bomb to tracking suspected double agents. Here we go. Joseph McGonagall. Joseph McMo McMonagall is really his name, but we're going to call him McGonagall for <laughs> okay. obvious reasons because we're nerds. 
He claims that he had a remarkable memory of very early childhood events. He grew up surrounded by alcoholism, abuse, and poverty. As a child, he had visions of at night when scared and began to hone his psychic abilities in his teens for his own protection when he hitchhiked. Hell yeah, he did. He enlisted to get away from his poverty, and he became an experimental remote viewer while serving in the U.S. Army intelligence. Some of this, he was like, as a child, he had visions at night when scared and began to hone his psychic abilities. I'm like, same, bro. Same. (laughs) the same thing totally get you i'm with you up until that point uh one of the other guys who's who's worth researching all by himself is called ed dames ed dames was one of the first five army students trained by ingo swan through stage three in coordinate in coordinate remote viewing because dames's role was intended to be a session monitor and analyst as a aide uh rather than a remote viewer but he started to um that they they eventually they they wanted him just to be a session monitor, so he received no more formal formal remote viewing training. After his assignment to the remote viewing unit ended at the end of January '86, he was used to run remote viewers um, and monitor them and provide training and practice sessions to viewer personnel. He soon established a reputation for pushing uh, remote viewing to extremes with target sessions on Atlantis, Mars, UFOs, and aliens. Um, this guy as his guy is very, very familiar within the uh, paranormal uh, community. He's a frequent guest on Coast to Coast AM. Ed Dames um, actually worked as a um, he actually worked as a film consultant for a movie that you need to go watch called Suspect Zero. That's all about. It's kind of talks about it. It talks about Project Stargate without talking about Project Stargate. It talks about how this one remote viewer left stargate and was using his remote viewing to try to find a serial killer that sounds interesting yeah so it's pretty cool so you should take a look at that but that's all i've got on project stargate it's all wackadoo and crazy and it would be great if it was if it was true but none of it was ever i mean on one side you say none of it was ever proven but at the same time you know our, our conspiracy theorist friends would be like that's exactly what they want you to believe yeah exactly i it, i think remote viewing is really interesting i think there's a lot of like interesting stories like joseph uh mcgonagall as we're calling him um his whole thing was really interesting and i think that there are some fascinating ideas behind it but also they're like just from everything that you've said like there are so many opportunities for this to be so full of bullshit because this like whoever was in charge was just like, eh, no, I'm right. Yes. No, you don't get to double check me on that. I'm just right. You need to believe me. Yeah. Like, all right, the, buddy. That's the biggest. Um, yeah. That's the biggest beef that I have of it, that it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't regulated like a, like a regular controlled scientific experiment. And because of that, there's no credibility to it. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately so. I think if the trust me excuse didn't work on my math tests, it won't work for fucking magical powers. Yeah. Which is a bummer because it would be cool. It's like, you know, nowadays the CIA is finding terrorists in the world uh, by going through bank records, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like you get a person who's going to be in that job as an analyst who's basically doing the same job as a remote viewer. We're trying to find... You know, covert intelligence. Okay, so you find an analyst. How do you find one? Okay, well you go you go through their you go through their educational records. Okay, we want somebody with a clean record of this, this, and this. A, B, and C. They know this language. They know accounting, or they know finance. Those are all measurable 
um, conditions. You know, you can find all that stuff on a person's resume from their transcript from college. Yeah. And then you bring them in for an interview and you ask them in the interview to basically replicate their skills. And whether or not they can, you hire them. And then you put them in that position and you give them the data and you ask them to extrapolate, you know, uh, you ask them for a result based on the information that you're giving them. Well, if you can do that with remote viewing, then remote viewing exists. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem comes with the, like you're saying, the controlled environment mm-hmm. and accurate repetition. Exactly. Which is the problem with everything. Because how many times have we heard about psychics trying to be helpful with missing person cases and they never get it right? Oh, yeah. There was, oh, man. There was a, I think it was a TikTok that I saw. Or like, why wouldn't they all video. be, I'm sorry, I totally, what? why wouldn't they just, you know, win the lottery? Yeah, exactly. Honestly, if I was a psychic, I would definitely do that. Um, but there was a video that I had seen, I think it was a TikTok, um, of a lady that was being interviewed. Uh, this lady was a medium and she would like help out with police stuff. And she was doing that kind of thing where like she would come up and she would say like, oh, you can find this person at this location or, oh, you're never going to find this person. This person's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interviewer is talking to her about some of her cases and then she holds up an image and the interviewer is like, do you recognize this woman? This is one of the cases you worked on a couple years ago. And she's like, yeah, I kind of remember that one. Uh, that that girl had died. And she was like, really? Because this girl is me. <laughs> and that psychic was like, you never went missing? And she was like, no, I went missing and you told them I died. But oh, that was me. And I'm God. here now. And then it, the the psychic being interviewed shut down complete, just like stone face, didn't say a fucking thing. And I was like, oh, my fucking God, that was just such a big dick energy move. Mm. Oh, my fucking God. It was so good. It was so good. That's hilarious. I love seeing shit like that. I know. Which just sucks because we believe in so much stuff. In and of ourselves. Oh yeah, of course. We believe in so many things that are paranormal that can't that can't be measured. I think the problem that we have with Project Stargate is that they wasted so much damn money on it. I know. It was so much money for something that just didn't work. For twenty Man. years. I know. It's <sighs> there's one thing the government is good at, it's wasting money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's well, Project man. Stargate. Yeah. Anyway, that was really cool though. It was a lot of information, but that was super cool. It was a good topic. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks, Haas. We'll take a quick break, and Dylan will be back with his topic. We have now returned from our short break. I am ready to bring you some real whack shit. That's right. Into the light. I command thee. All right. So, I am going to be talking about something a little bit different than usual, but it'll be a rough one. Don't worry, I promise. Here we go. I'm going to be talking about Anatoly Yuryevich Moskvin, or Anatoly Moskvin. Have you Anatoly heard of him? Moskvin. No. Good. Excellent. Five Moskowitz. Who's Anatoly? What did he do? Well, he was a man. Anatoly Moskvin was considered by many to be a genius. Uh, he was a historian. He was an author of a number of different scientific papers, uh, journals, and a few books, I think. Um, and he actually had knowledge of 13 different languages. Pretty smart dude. Sounds that way. Yes. 
So his scientific personal focus was on the afterlife. Uh, he was genuinely obsessed with what happens to people after they died, and most of the papers that he published were on this particular topic. Hmm. So in 1966, Anatoly was born in Nov Novgorod, Russia, which I'm not going to say again because I tongue-tied myself. Comrade was born in Nizhnyarovnov, Russia. Sounds good. There you go. There you go. Um, so when he was born, he was very socially awkward, did not have an easy time making friends, but as I mentioned, he was incredibly intelligent across the board. Dylan, are you a math genius obsessed with the afterlife? No, I am definitely not. I'm pretty good at math, but I hate math. It sucks. <laughs> but no, this is this guy is definitely not me. Please don't do this to me. Okay. Um, okay, so even from a young age, he was super intelligent across the board, um, Nobody really thought that there was any issue with him, and they ignored his awkward nature, mostly chalking it up to his intelligence. Um, but he did have a bizarre and often rough childhood. So we're going to jump right into it here. He was bullied as a child pretty frequently for his intelligence, uh, and it was found out later that in the third grade he was sexually assaulted. Oh, come on! I apologize. It's unclear if he ever told his parents about this, but in his writing about it, uh, he said that in the third grade, he was walking home from school when a man beat him and sexually assaulted him. He returned home, covered in bruises, um, but like I said, it was never, he never mentioned whether or not he actually told his parents about it, so it's just sad and rough. The fuck? Yeah. Um, in a publication from 2011, Moskvin talks about another super bizarre event that shaped his obsession uh, as a child. He said that when he was 13 years old, a group of men in black suits stopped Moskvin while he was on <laughs> his way home from school. Uh, they explained that they were en route to a funeral procession for an 11-year-old girl named Natasha Petrova and needed him to come with them. I don't like where this is headed. It's not going to go the way that you're expecting well, let's it. Let's find it. So when he went with the men, they made him go up to the little girl's coffin well, once they had gotten to the funeral. It was an open casket funeral. Um, they made him go up to the coffin and see her dead body, and then they made him kiss the girl's corpse. Uh, in this publication, he says, quote, I kissed her once, then again, then again. Um, and then the when he was done with the kissing aspects of this, uh, when he was done with that, the girl's mother walked up and placed a wedding ring on his finger and then one on her dead daughter's. Uh, Moskvin was now beginning to start his death obsession, and his story with Petrova did not end here. Dylan, that's exactly where I thought this was headed. <laughs> okay. Well, good for you, man. You're on top of it. Um, so, yeah, he marries a dead 11-year-old. Because her family wanted him to. So after his bizarre wedding to the dead girl, Moskvin claims that he had vivid dreams every night where she would come and visit him and try and teach him in the ways of black magic. She also told him that he needed to return to the village where their wedding had taken place, which he eventually did. Uh, he would often return to the village and speak with her at her grave. As long as he frequented the village, she would stay out of his dreams. But he stated that if he stopped returning for a long enough period of time, she would come back to him in his dreams and tell him he needed to keep going back. Oh my god. Yeah. He said without fail, that would happen every time. 
Um, during this time, Moskvin was still a child. This was all still happening while he was 13 or 14 years old. Um, and when he told his parents what he was like, what was going on, they took him to a doctor who said that it was drum roll, please just him going through puberty. And then he described him Valerian. Oh my God. What a uh, Valerian root, right? Yeah. <laughs> what the supplement? Yeah, pretty much. The all, all natural supplement. That's... But imagine going to a doctor and you're like, Hey man, I got married to a dead girl. It's just the birds and the bees. No big deal. I got married to a dead girl. Now she visits me every single night and tells me I need to go talk to her at her grave and hang out in her village. Uh, and if I don't do that, she gets real mad about it. And the doctor's just like, eh, just normal kid things. Yeah, that's normal. Take some calm down route and fuck off. Uh, so after a year of visiting the village and her grave, uh, he stated that Petrova was growing tired of Moskin refusing to do everything that she wanted. Uh, and stated that if he did one ritual, which for some reason involved using a classmate's tooth, oh. she would leave him alone. A tooth out of his mouth. Yes, a tooth out of his mouth. Okay, not one that he had lost earlier. No, tooth out of his mouth. That's too bad. That's unfortunate. The details he didn't write about, but he did say that after he somehow successfully carried out this mission involving another child's tooth inside of their skull, that she did leave him alone, actually. Uh, he, like I said, he doesn't give the details about like what this ritual actually was. Thank which God is for that. He's heartbreaking, because I want to know. No, you don't. I do want to know. Are you kidding me? Oh, it's not something I would do, but I want to know like what he did. I'm worried about you. I know. Uh, so this ritual that she had that she had him performed sparked another one of his interests: dark magic and the occult. He spent a good bit of his later school and college time studying the afterlife and bizarre rituals, which assisted him in his degree in Celtic studies, uh, as their ideologies in regards to death and the afterlife were really similar to his own, uh, and he even eventually joined the Society of Luciferians. Oh, that sounds great. Sounds super good. Uh, it does get better. So the Society of Luciferians have, as with various different religions different paths that you can follow mm -hmm. so he chose to focus primarily on the left hand path um which is the path that deals with predominantly sex magic which is super cool and i'm not using that in a weird way i think that that's actually pretty cool i know somebody who practices the left hand path interesting yes um so obviously this is furthering his interest and practicing of the occult and as his life progressed, he began performing bizarre rituals on mostly dead animals and frequenting cemeteries in and around his uh, area. He claimed later that he went to over 750 cemeteries in a two-year span. He did this with a partner, and he claimed that it was under the guise of a research trip for publishing a book uh, they were going to be talking about like the history of different uh, cemeteries and necropolises in that general area um, doing research on the historical backgrounds of it and everything um, but of course publishing a book was not all he had in mind mm -hmm. so in 2009 two years after his two-year-long research period 
uh, people began to notice desecrated and unburied graves of loved ones with more frequency in these areas that he had familiarized himself with. Great. For a few years of the police investigating these different desecrations and bizarre, like, random acts of vandalism and graves, um, there was actually a anti-Muslim terrorist attack in 2011 in that area. Hmm along with a string of desecrated Muslim graves. So police began to watch the burial sites a lot more heavily, expecting to find the terrorists come through. Um, and eventually, they actually found Moskvin. It was in that same year, 2011. He was near a grave, and he claimed that he was just there to be painting over the gravestones. But police, arre police arrested him anyway, claiming it was for vandalism. That allowed them enough reason to go and search his home. Now, he was still living with his parents. He's an adult at this point. This is 2011. He was born in 66. Okay. That's a long time to be living with your parents. It's a long time to be living with your parents in an apartment. Pretty not great. I can do what I want, Mom. <laughs> and boy, does he. Um, so they searched his parents. Now, obviously, in the wake of a terror attack and him being at a grave when they had found desecrated Muslim graves, they were hoping to find... Uh, evidence of IED equipment, propaganda, or at least links to some of the other terrorists. When they stormed his home, however, what they found was way more horrifying than any of them expected it to be. The cool thing is, you can watch the body cam footage of the actual raid itself, which I did. So, when they come into the house, they start moving through it. Uh, it looks a lot like just a general hoarder's nest. Um, there's all kinds of stuff just littered throughout, um, the floors and shelves. You've got clothing, food, uh, doll making manuals, household items, photos, plaques from graves, um, and a series of large dolls. 29 dolls to be exact. 29 dolls resembling creepy antique dolls that Moskvin had dressed in different types of women's clothing, put makeup on, etc. 29 life-size dolls of 29 girls, ranging from 3 years old to 12 years old, whose graves he had dug up and whose corpses he had brought home to keep for himself. Oh, Jesus Christ, that's disgusting. 29 girls from the age of 3 to the age of 12. I'm not okay with that. Yep. No, I'm not alright with that. That's deeply disturbing. Oh, yeah. I feel like throwing up right now. Oh, yeah. And on this body cam footage, they're like moving through. You see like the, they look really creepy. You can find images of them online. It doesn't really look like dead bodies. I'm really creeped out. I really feel like throwing up right now. They look really, really bad. I mean, you know that heat thing that you get before you throw up? Yep. Oh, that's disgusting and disturbing, Dylan. Oh, yeah. Do you like that build up to it? Oh, you got me good. I really hoped so. Oh, oh man. Oh, so. <laughs> all right each one of the dolls had clothing most of them were the clothes that they were buried in uh, they had makeup and some of them even had buttons or other circular objects placed into the eye sockets uh, which he said quote allowed them to watch cartoons with me and every doll was placed around his room in different areas, on top of shelves, on the floor, on his couch or bed, uh, even, in the case of the ones that he didn't love, stuffed into the garage. He had stated at one point that he loved all of his dolls except for a couple of them, and the ones that he didn't, he usually just stuffed in the garage. But 
even those, it was just kind of, he couldn't really tolerate them as much, but he had a very special love for all of them. Gross. And what's worse than everything I've just explained to you? Let me tell you, Jake. So Moskvin had brought the girls home, and when he did, he opened up their rib cages, and he placed music boxes in each one so they would be able to make a noise and react when he interacted with them. Mm. He explained that he maintained their poses and integrity by wrapping the arms and legs in rags, then stuffing them into nylon tights so they'd stay firm and in place. I'm not okay with this. Yes. Now, if you recall... He lives with his parents. How did he get away with this? With them there? So his parents, who he shared this home with, said that despite the horrible smell, which was even remarked upon by the neighbors, they didn't think anything of it. They knew that he had an obsession with creating life-size dolls, but they never suspected that they were actually human beings. What a fucking cop-out. How do you not know? If your neighbor Mm. across the fucking way can tell, like, they had an interview with the neighbor, and he said that, like, he always smelled something really bad coming from there. Exactly. But he just assumed that it was, like, a sewage issue or something. You can't live with a grown adult who brings home corpses and turns them into dolls without knowing something? Exactly. Exactly. Such bullshit. What the fuck? There's no way. Yeah, exactly. It was really sketchy. But his parents were super old, so they never really did anything with them. Um, But they did have Moskvin in custody here. So they spoke at length with Moskvin um, and found that all of these dolls had most likely been collected over a series of almost a decade. His oldest doll had been with him for upwards of nine years. Oh my god. Obviously, something as bizarre as this is going to get huge media attention. So the uh, reporters gave him a number of different monikers. Uh, Some called him the puppeteer, the lord of mummies. But the most common one was the Russian doll man. I kind of like the lord of mummies a little bit more. The lord of mummies. Um, And the investigation went on for quite a while. By the time it was all over, Moskvin had actually confessed to 44 counts of abusing the graves and corpses of girls from age 3 to 12, and was sentenced to a psychiatric facility, where he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and deemed unfit to stand trial. Remaining sentenced to this facility, where he was reportedly kept in basically a catatonic state, Uh, and was supposedly beaten by the guards on a fairly regular basis. Now, due to his horrific treatment, his parents did seek out the help of a human rights lawyer, um, who worked with them for a number of years trying to get everything figured out. Eventually, in 2018, they were able to secure a second hearing, uh, where it was deemed that he would be able to continue his treatment away from the particular facility that had abused him, at his parents' home. So essentially, he became a free man. Mm. During his incarceration, he did continue to do interviews. Uh, He wrote papers on the different aspects of his crime, on death and magic. Um, He wrote a whole bunch while he was able to. Um, But, I mean, yeah, he was being abused at this particular mental facility. So I understand wanting to get him away from that situation obviously he's mentally not doing the best but to be able to say 
you can continue your treatment at home with two elderly parents who didn't notice that he had a bunch of dead bodies yeah, in no his kidding. home. What the fuck is that? That's not cool. Um, but anyway, he wrote a whole bunch of different things. So we, I, there are actually a lot of firsthand quotes from him um, and a lot of articles that you can read based on like all the shit that he said about it. Mm-hmm. But I want to mm-hmm. leave you with this last line here. Probably the creepiest thing that I had seen him say. At one point while discussing his crimes, he had stated, quote, you abandoned your girls. I brought them home and warmed them up. Oh, God. It's just icky. This one was an interesting case because there was no actual murder to it. He's not a serial killer. He's a grave robber. He's just a grave robber. But, like, the whole process he took of, like, going to over 750 graves over a two-year span or like graveyards over a two-year span to familiarize himself with everything and then systematically over the course of like a decade go through and bury people up or dig people up and then go through that whole process of turning them into dolls which he would scatter around his room what the fuck is this and then he's just a free man he -hmm. just gets to live at home He's still alive, too, I think. I'm going to double check. Um, but he's still alive. He's just, like, hanging out. Yeah. That's crazy. Dylan, that's so fucking gross, man. Oh, yeah. It's really gross. Oh, I'm watching the video right now. I shouldn't be watching this. No, but you can find, like, all the images of the dolls that he had. Um, they're all, like, dressed up, and they look really creepy, like, ugly paper mache dolls just because no, of whatever watching... he was doing to them. Um, are you watching like the actual yeah, raid? I'm watching the body cam footage. Yeah, you can find that too raid. on YouTube, um, and it's really, really creepy. Oh, this is disturbing. The house is such a fucking wreck. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a hoarder's house. <clears throat> it absolutely is. He didn't do anything with them, like. He never said that he did anything like sexual with them or anything like that. I don't know if he did. He didn't admit it if he did. He just kind of said that they hung out with him oh um, and watched cartoons with him. Oh, so weird. Yeah, it's very, very bad. Oh, disgusting. All right, I've had enough of this. <laughs> makes me throw up. Really yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, super not fun. Um, but anyway, that was Anatoly Moskvin, the Russian doll man. Um, if you guys want to find like any of the videos or any of the images of his dolls and shit, they're all super easy to find. He's a creepy looking dude too. So it's just, it was a, it was a weird one. I wanted to bring something a little bit unusual. I was trying to find, you know, something a little bit different than the usual thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like grave robbing puppet man works pretty good. Disgusting. Oh, it makes me feel so sick. Oh yeah. It's icky. It is. All right. Got anything else? That's about it, right? <laughs> God, that was a great episode. This is good shit, man. It's almost, yeah, it was. almost an hour and a half. We're at an hour 20. It's going to be awesome. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. We brought it. We brought the heat. Brought the thunder. Hell brought yeah. that hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. All right, guys. Listen, thank you so much for listening. Um, You know, follow us on Instagram. We've got a TikTok. We've got a Facebook. We're all over the place. You've got all of our information. Share us with your friends. You know, we're hoping to pick up some steam here. We need to get double the listeners, double the episodes. So we need double your love. 
Hell yeah, and please. We'll give you back double our love too. What? What? Nothing. Oh god. Okay. Got anything else? Um just remember we have a red bubble where you can find us at Too Scared Pod and get a variety of merchandise from us. Um you can choose to support us financially through Anchor if you would like. Um they have options for a monthly subscription. Uh, if not, just let people know about us. You know, if you think that anybody would like us, we really appreciate it. But we love all the love that you guys have sent our way already. Um, so thank you all for your continued support. And we're very excited for what's coming up this year. Uh, we're going to be working on some uh, Patreon stuff. We'll be updating the Instagram and everything with all that, too. That's right. But okay, guys. other than that, I think I am good to go. We'll close this out, buddy boy. All right, well, from Jake, my co-host, my name is Dylan, and we hope that we have left you too scared to sleep.